you know, some of the top IFBB guys competed in the WMBF, which is kind of interesting. Sean Clarita competed for years in the WMBF and he was great. He was awesome. He was very young, but very good competitor. And Kai Green, another guy, you know, he won the world championships in 1996 and he was a teenager or maybe 20. He was either 19 or 20 when he won and he was outstanding in the naturals. So it's, I think people like that they can compete at a high level and really push their bodies without taking the risk of the drugs and all the other stuff. Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. The lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm going to talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm going to answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. Welcome back to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. This is part two of the podcast series I'm doing called Meet the Federations, where you are going to learn firsthand all of the different options there are in the sport of bodybuilding by highlighting people in the different federations that know each of them the best. Today, we're going to talk all about the WNBF. My guest today is a four-time WNBF Pro World Champion in women's bodybuilding. She has won at least another 25 titles in various organizations. She was an NCAA Division I gymnast at the University of New Hampshire, a Massachusetts high school state champion in gymnastics. She's a mom of two really awesome kids, I have to say myself, Jamie, who's 15, and Jimmy, who's 12. And she has been involved in all parts of the sport from competitor, promoter, judge, head judge, and organization owner. In fact, she has been a promoter since 1995. And my first bodybuilding show was her Northeast Classic competition (laughs) in 2002 or 2003, one of those. And so I've known you for like 20 years. She has been the president. Yep. She has been the president of the WNBF since 2014 and is currently a co-owner of the WNBF with Tina Smith and Bob Bell. And if you've ever competed with the WNBF, you guys, I'm telling you, not only is she fiercely loyal to her friends, but she will not only remember your name, she will even likely remember the color of your suit that you wore on stage, even if it was like 10 years ago. (laughs) I'm really super excited to have you, Nancy Andrews, as my guest to talk all about the WNBF Federation. So can you please share a little bit more about your background, your story, about how you got into bodybuilding, and maybe share why did you choose to compete and promote with the WNBF Federation? 
Okay. Well, that's a lot. Well, thank you first, Michelle, for having me and for doing these podcasts. Um, it's a great way to get information directly from the source um, so that people know what they're getting into, because I think that is probably one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they don't do the research ahead of time. So you're making it easy on them by putting these podcasts together and, and giving all of us an opportunity to share information about our federations. So thank you for that. Um, for, for myself, getting into uh, bodybuilding, it was pretty, I wouldn't say easy, but probably an easier path than a lot of people because of my gymnastics background. So when I graduated from college and I was working out in the gym, the gym that I was at had their own gym show. It was Gold's Gym in Worcester. Um, and there were, so the the actual gym had its own bodybuilding show. And they would just ask people that worked out there, like, oh, have you ever thought about doing this? And so they asked me, like, oh, would you like to do this? And at that point, I wasn't really on a, a, a big training program. I was coaching gymnastics. And I was going to the gym on my off nights to, you know, get a little workout in. So I decided, you know what, this is kind of cool. We did have some pretty notable bodybuilders from the gym. Jay Cutler as one of them who was competing in the first show that I watched. Um, he was a teenager and he was in the gym show. And uh, he didn't look like he didn't look like what I remember teenagers looking like when I was a kid. He still looked great then, even as a teen. So the the gym had. Um, had its own show. And that's how I started. That was the first show that I did was the gym show. And then it was more, uh, the internet was not around. So the way that you learned about shows was by going to them, which is kind of interesting and probably a, a, a very different com concept for people to grasp because right, you know, today there's so much more information out about the sport and about you know, all how to even how to prep, like those kind of things we would learn at shows by meeting people that were involved in the sport. Um, I I would do uh, when I first started promoting, I would go on tour of New England, um, bringing my posters to different gyms and working out. And that's how I met a ton of people in the industry, just through showing up at a gym and, oh, is there anyone here that's into bodybuilding? And then some trainer would come out from the back and there they were. And we gave them the posters and gave them the information. And, you know, then you develop a relationship with them and, and, you know, you, you help them by offering a platform for their competitors and they know they can show up and they're going to have a good day and they're going to, their competitors are going to enjoy it and their clients. So. Do you find it still very word of mouth? Do you find it still very word of mouth today, though? Even though there's the internet, isn't there? Isn't the communication about bodybuilding? It's kind of its own man. There's fitness, and then there's bodybuilding. And doing a show, yeah. it takes a lot more than just you know looking hot in a bikini or great on the beach. You know what I mean? Right. But the accessibility of information is much higher now. So then you really had to find the right people because there were a lot of people that worked out in gyms and would put people into shows that necess didn't necessarily know all the nuances of competing in a bodybuilding show. So you had a lot more, like I would say, like raw talent where people worked hard and worked out a lot, but there weren't as many experts on the nutrition and there weren't experts on the posing. And there, there were some, 
but you had to find them. So it wasn't as easy to find like who people were using. And the way that I found a lot of my information was by competing a lot. So I would compete in a show. And then at that show, they'd say, oh, there's another show in three weeks. I think the first year I competed, I did like 12 shows because it was every every time I'd go to one that they'd be like, oh, there's another one. I'd be like, oh, okay, sign me up for that one. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. So, you know, it, it was, um, then I was spent a lot of time competing myself and I only promoted one show a year and it was a novice show just like a novice only show. And I kind of learned from that. It was really fun to do the novice shows because the people's expectations are different. Like they're happy to be there and to make it there and be able to be on stage and participate in this and actually do it and look like they've made some changes versus the more seasoned competitors have different expectations with shows. But I've always really enjoyed the novice and one of the things with the WMBF that I've always liked is that we don't let the novices cross over into open. So the novice is the novice, and that's kind of the mindset of the novice is I want to get on stage, I want to be able to do this, I want to look like I belong, versus I want a pro card. Mm, and that's and been the, something that's been such a such a you know big thing these days. It's like everybody wants their pro card at their first show, but, you know, go circling no. back to the WNBF itself, you competed mm-hmm. in many different, many different federations and not just right. the WNBF. You, you competed in non-drug, like me, I competed in non-drug tested federation yeah. as somebody who's not doing drugs, but just right. why not testing, seeing how I fared against other competitors. And you did the same. So what yeah. made you choose to promote with the WNBF versus any other, especially you just mentioned uh, Jay Cutler was at your gym. So you had somebody who was yeah. competing in a completely different federation and you're watching and probably, yeah. you know, seeing his competition career. So oh, why yeah. the WNBF? Well, uh, back to Cutler. The one other funny thing is at that time, we uh, like our gym, we had a whole crew that just traveled around watching him compete. So we'd go from show to show. We went to Dallas to see him compete there uh, we were there when he won his um, MPC national title. It was a lot of people, you know, Rick Silverman, my husband, myself. So Does big, Jay know big that? crew of what? Does Jay know that? Oh yeah, he knows that. Yeah, he. We were with his family, his parents, his sister. Yeah, yeah, oh, he knows awesome. it. Yeah, no. So we were pretty involved with with um, him as he was coming up, and we went to all of his pro shows in the beginning. Um, the Night of Champions he had done. I think that was his pro debut was the Night of Champions in New York, which was such an awesome show. But for me personally, I, I, as I was going through these different federations, I initially kind of picked by where they were located. So if there was a show in Massachusetts that was in Worcester or Boston or someplace I was familiar with, I would just go to that show regardless of the federation. I was just like, oh, that looks like a good one. I'll go try it out. Um, But as I learned more about it, I liked the drug tested because I felt like it was a fair playing field because I was a lifetime drug-free bodybuilder. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know, that you were, you know, all the people, it's kind of screens people out. So I, I liked that. And the organization I competed with the most early on was the AMBC. Um, and that's who my first sanctioned shows were with the AMBC. 
Um, and so what happened from there is I had competed in their nationals and I won their nationals and people had told me, oh, you should try to do this natural professional that they have. And in order to do that, you had to compete in the NGA. And at that time for the NGA, they only had like, I think it was four or five qualifiers in the United States to qualify to get a pro card. So I looked at their schedule and I found one in North Carolina and um, the promoter was Damian Fisher. And I called him and I said, listen, I, you know, I'd like to try this. Um, I'd like to come to your show. He sent me all the information and there I was in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that's where I won my pro card was at his show. I went to a show and I won my pro card there, which qualified me to compete in the WMBF. And then when I went to the WMBF, that was like a whole nother level because everyone was so good. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. You know, how am I going to compete here? So I spent some time working and I went back and I competed in the, the 1997 world championships. And that's where I won my first world championships, which was, um, it was in New York. And from there, I got a phone call from Steve Downs and was like, hey, you're promoting this AMBC. Like, you need to promote a federation that supports the WMBF. So basically, I was, I kind of had to switch to the NGA at that point. Because and then the NG- yeah, because I was going to be competing with the WMBF. So it's kind of like it was, you know, I, I was supporting a different feeder federation. It would be hard for them to put me in the magazine or, or use me on things because I'm, I'm kind of, feeding another organization instead of being loyal to the one that I competed. So it made sense to me. And I said, okay, no problem. And so, because it was still going to be drug tested and that was the most important thing to me. And so I um, changed to NGA for a very short period of time. There were no NGA shows in New England at the time. And I remember when I started it, People thought that I started my own federation and that my middle name was something with a G. (laughs) So I was like, no, 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 this is not Nancy's federation. This is NGA National Gym. So I did that. And then um, 2001, the WMBF and the NGA parted ways because the NGA wanted to do their own pro division. And so the IMBF was formed. And so that from there, my show switched from NGA to IMBF. Maybe it was 2000. Yeah. Were you ever tempted? So here you are, you're, you're slaying the stage as a, as a professional bodybuilder. I mean, guys, if you look at Nancy's photos, I'm serious, like not just <laughs> saying it, there's, there's bodybuilding and then there's Nancy Andrews from a natural body, <laughs> really from a natural bodybuilding standpoint, even in, if like, if you compared your physique to somebody who was enhanced, you'd be, you'd be really surprised to hear that Nancy is, has been able to accomplish that without drugs, because I think a lot of people assume that to get that quality of muscle, you have to do drugs, right? So Mm. for you to, to, like, I think it's such a testament to show you are, that is to show what can be done with time and patience and consistency. I really, you know, admire that too. Um, But I am curious though, you know, you could have gone to the same avenues as Jay Cutler and, and other people in other federations and perhaps maybe would have gotten, I don't know, maybe a completely different path that could have grown into something completely different. Were you ever tempted or was it always like, I only believe in natural? 
you know, I, I was, um, the, the competition side of me or the competitive side of me was like, yeah, it would be kind of cool to be able to just see how you could do, like, how could I do as a natural athlete against some of the lightweight bodybuilders of that time. But, um, the, I did ask at one point, this is actually funny, you know, fitness was with the fitness routine. So I did gymnastics. So I thought, oh, well, maybe they'll let me try the fitness because it's different category. So I had asked if I could try the fitness in the MPC, but that was not allowed. So I didn't want to jeopardize my status with the WMBF because I really enjoyed the promotion side of it. And I really believed in the organization and what they were doing and their mission to get people involved in the sport naturally, that that was more important to me than my own competitive career. And, you know, even you with owning the fetter. Just to be clear. So you couldn't compete in the fitness category because you were competing actively and promoting in the WMB office. Is that correct? Yeah. That's what yeah. you're saying. Right. They had their natural bodybuilding magazine and they had, they did have restrictions on athletes, but only the athletes that won money because the athletes that won money were the ones they were putting in the magazine. I see. So it kind of made sense. You know, people always make a general comment that the WNBF had so many restrictions back then. They really didn't. It was only on the people that win money. So if you looked at the organization as a whole, there were probably 20 athletes that had restrictions. The majority of people in it were not winning money. So they didn't have restrictions. And it's interesting that loyalty concept too, where even today there's the natural federations, there's just, there's a branch off and there's been a lot more additions and there's a lot of different shows, don't you? Federations that is. So it's a lot to choose from. So, you know, people are competing where there's a show like you kind of did. And then, then it becomes, well, we want you to stay with our federation, but there's no magazines anymore. No, no. So what is the, what are they getting as a, as a lure or reason to stay, I guess it would be still money, right? If you're winning an award money, award money that is, you know? Um, I I think that, well, there's a couple different things. I think that initially people may compete geographically, but some people may feel like they like the um, judging criteria of one organization over another because the standards are different within them. And some people may want a stricter drug testing than others. So there's different levels of all the different components that make up the federation, which is good and bad. The bad part of it is that competitors need to do research to figure out which one is the right one for them in terms of drug testing. How tested do they want it? Some people may say they want it fully tested and they want all the bells and whistles, but they actually don't because they may be using supplements or something else that's not that's not allowed. So with the natural side, what I think has made the growth more difficult is that there's not one standard. So if we said, this is the standard, this is what natural means, that alone would would make some consolidation happen. Like every natural federation, this is what natural is. And if it's not this, it's not natural. But that's it's not going to happen. But in an ideal world, if we had some standards of this is natural, and that's the only definition of natural, and every federation had the same standard, it would actually help. 
for competitors because then they're not like, oh, wait, is this the one that you're allowed to do this or is this the one you're not allowed to do this? So and the same with that. even standards on the on the categories. There's different standards on all the categories in the natural federations versus a lot of people that I know that compete in the MPC. They are like, I, I like it because there's no rules on the testing. It's whatever you want to do. So you can go in if you're natural or you don't have to be. It's whatever. And the criteria is the same across the country. But I, I would like to see the natural organizations work a little bit more together just because I do think there needs to be some consolidation so that the the titles and the sponsorship and all of those things go to the right people that really deserve it in the industry. Mm. Well, what does natural mean anyways to the WNBF? To the WMBF, it's, you know, obviously we have a huge banned substance list, but no steroids, uh, no hormone replacement. Um, Some of the supplements that are SARMs, things like that are not allowed. Um, A lot of the stimulants that people would use um, to help with fat loss, those are not allowed. So it's a pretty extensive list. It's it's all on the worldnaturalbb.com website. Um, and you know anyone that's going to compete, uh, you need to go read that and make sure before you end up signing up for a show and find out. Um, some of the substances have different times that you need to be off of it. So if somebody used a substance like DHEA is banned, um, if somebody had never competed with the WMBF and they used it, they would need to wait three months before they could compete with us. And then they would be allowed to compete. So it's, it's, it's dependent on the, on the item. Is that list updated? Yeah. It's updated each year. Yes. Each year. Okay. And then what about, so you mentioned no, um, hormone replacement therapy. What about people who have like a hysterectomy or something completely drastic like that? Are there exceptions to these rules? So the, the hormone replacement, it's mostly with, with men taking testosterone. So testosterone wouldn't be allowed as a hormone replacement. And um, with women, that's not typically prescribed for a hysterectomy. So if there's um, medications for something, if there's hormones prescribed for something medical, is, are there exceptions yeah. that people can... So there are, there are exceptions with like, I'll give you an example. A lot of people have thyroid issues. So they're taking, you know, Lavoxyl or Synthroid or a thyroid medication. Um, Those are allowed for medical reasons, you know, and if somebody's taking a diuretic for heart conditions, there's a few diuretics that are very popular treatment for people with heart issues. And that would never be something we would ask someone to come off. They would just have documentation that they're using it and it disclose it before they compete and test because, you know, when we, if we do a urine test and we're testing for diuretics and this person comes up positive for diuretics and they've not mentioned a thing about using diuretics, you know, needing a prescription you know, mm. that's not good either. So we, we need, we do like a screening beforehand where they would give us a list of the prescriptions they take and the reasons they take them. And, you know, like with the diuretic, obviously somebody that's taking it for cardiac reasons, they, they need to be on that. Like they're, you know, it's yeah. not something you're going to risk 
and be like, oh, I'm not going to take it because I want to compete in a natural show. Yeah. So it's not black or white. I mean, there for medical no. reasons, there are exceptions. Um, things yeah. like PRT are just black or white. No. But what about like women in menopause and things that they might be prescribed for? Um, what do you call it? Bioidentical hormones that they put on as a cream to help assist with menopause. Think, are there rules for that? Or is that a hard no too? Well, so those, some of those are herbal. A lot of them are herbal or at least the ones that we're seeing more of the people that come to compete have a lot of herbal. So those would be herbal would be allowed. So herbal supplementation is allowed. Okay. But But it would be kind of on a case by case basis where somebody would come and say, listen, I have this prescription. This is what's in it. Can I compete? And we would be able to tell them yes or no. And, you know, if it's testosterone cream is very popular with men uh, for men. And that one is absolutely no, because we just, what they found is that on the studies they've done, most of the people that are using it, they're going to, they're going to fail the urine test mm. because their levels are not going to, they're going to be higher. Their T ratio is going to be higher. So really people should be reaching out to you if they're considering competing. They really need to reach out sooner rather than later if they have some sort of prescriptions to find out. So you're not you yeah. know, preparing for a show. Get to the show and find out, oh man, all that time I prepared, now I can't compete. I didn't realize that right. I was taking this testosterone cream. So you know, I, now I can't compete. Right. I didn't realize that because it was something prescribed by my doctor. I wasn't trying right. to be enhanced and you know beat everybody yeah. in a natural show. Although people do, you know, have inten- know yeah. they're doing what their intentions are. We know that. <laughs> so, right, I mean, right. so it's not black or white. Moral of this is over the um, years, the every year, the, the banned substance list is updated, but there are exceptions to that. But, you know, going back to the WNBF and what makes the federation itself different from other natural mm-hmm. federations and other even non-drug tested federations, what do you think makes the WNBF different slash special slash unique? Well, the drug testing is very stringent. So, you know, our we do do the polygraph, but it's a 30-minute polygraph. It's not just a short screening. So they're spent, spending a lot of time, and we have failures every year on the polygraph. So that's good. On the urine testing, we urine test all the winners. Anyone that wins a pro card, um, we test for diuretics. We test for all the banned substances. Um, and that has also led to people failing on the urine test. Um, we do share with the, some of the other natural federations the um, testing because it doesn't help any of us to have someone fail a urine test and then bounce to the next one and hope they get by. You know, it, it really just, if they failed, we kind of believe that they, the other people should at least know uh, whether they take the information and run with it or take it and say, I'll take my chances and do my own just in, in goodwill. We do share that. Um, the OCB also shares theirs with us, which is nice. I'll get information from Marjorie um, or Sean and they'll let us know like, Hey, we just had this person. They failed our test. Um, just so you know. So we right away on the polygraph would be screening them for, you know, have you ever failed a if they try to compete in a natural show, have you ever failed a, a urine test? So from um, drug testing because, standpoints, you feel it's pretty, pretty lengthy, pretty 
and extensive and you communicate with yeah. other national federations. What else makes the WNBF special, different, unique, awesome? Well, I think the international piece is, is definitely um, what makes it special. There's Bob Bell has done an outstanding job signing on um, and working with the affiliates that we have in other countries. He has over 40 signed on. Um, he spends hours and hours on the phone, training people, doing judges meetings, um, uh, teaching them our standards so that they can, in their country, use the same standards we're using. And they're qualifying competitors to our pro stage. So at our world championships, which we just had that in LA, uh, there were, you know, 30 plus countries represented there. So it's, it's very cool. It's, it's really neat for competitors in the United States to be able to go to a show like that and meet a lot of like-minded people from all over the world. And, you know, at the end of the day, and I think Michelle, you will agree with me, you were in the sport a long time. You know, I, I won a lot. I've have promoted great shows, but the best thing that I have received from the sport are all the friendships I've made along the way and the people that I've met and the people that I have relationships with. That is worth so much more to me than any of the, you know, the titles or winning things or, you know, the shows I promote. It's just really the the people I've met are just amazing people. And I like to give the, you know, with the WMBF, Tina, Bob, and I are giving competitors the opportunity to compete all over the United States, but also all over the world if they want to, because we're affiliated with other countries, competitors can go overseas and compete and they can have the same standards. They don't have to relearn like, oh, what does this country do or what does that country do? So it's very cool. And I, I definitely have to give Bob kudos for um, his hard work on the affiliates because he has spent a lot of time um, developing those relationships with them and giving us the opportunity that we could have that many countries at our events. I think 30 countries at a world show, that's a true world show. Like, oh there's, yeah, there's world championships that are touted as, you know, and, and this is not, I'm not um, pinpointing one federation because I've seen it multiple times where they're all, oh, we're an international um, federation and here we've got this, you know, world championship or here's this, this big, big show. And there's like, right. Oh, you've got a couple different countries. You got like the one person that's from this, you know, crazy yeah, country. No. That, that, <laughs> or they one person who went 24 hour flight and, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're the center front and center on the stage. See, we're international. But truly, yeah. like I'm joking, but at the end of the day, you guys have 30 people representing the federation. That's outstanding. Oh, no, no, and, 30 different countries represented. Yeah. Some of the teams that come over are big, like. The, a lot of the um, affiliated countries like the UK, their, their champions, their amateur champions will also come and compete as amateurs in the amateur worlds. And their pro card winners will compete in the pro, but they bring large teams. The Swiss are there, Italy, Australia, Ireland, um, Taiwan, Korea. Do you find the what? looks of the do you find the looks of the people that come from these different countries to be a certain I don't know more muscular, more lean is there is there a difference between the quality of competitor that comes from overseas um, the, among the different countries have you noticed? Well, the the in the bikini this year the girls from Spain really racked it up. 
Um, uh, they had a team that came that was very good. Um, I, I think that, you know, obviously, if you get into the genetics of the sport, that certain builds are going to fare better than others in certain categories. Um, so, you know, some genetically, someone may have smaller waist, so that's going to help in every category. Um, mm -hmm. But the the competitors that come from overseas, at least the amateur side, I will say, tend to be the top people there because they need to win to come. And the United oh. States, they need to place in the top three. So we're not quite at the point where we can say in the U.S. you have to win. And I think also in the U.S., the, the push for the pro card, um, people want to get that pro card and they want to get out of the amateurs and move up. And I, I'm not I, I would be a bigger fan of maybe taking a step back and reeling it back a little and have them compete as an amateur a little longer um, just because the, the pros is so competitive that pushing them up into the pros sometimes can lead to a shorter career versus if they have to learn things and get better at things, it's much easier to get better as an amateur and you have so many more options for shows. You can do so many different shows if you're an amateur, but if you're a pro, you're locked into whatever pro shows are for your category and that work with your schedule or work with the geographic area that you're, you're wanting to compete in. So in the foreign countries, they don't give out as many pro cards. It's much harder to earn a pro card in one of the foreign countries. So their amateur competitors that come over here are really good. They are the top of the, you know, the best of the best there that didn't get the one pro card they gave out, <laughs> you know. So here it's not it's not unheard of, like at some of my shows where we're giving out, you know, across the categories, you know, 20 pro cards. Mm. They're, you know, they're going to give out five. I to have to our say, and when I judged the world championships for you, I was yeah. completely blown away by the quality yeah. of what yeah. came over. And this is yeah, not just the, the pro stage, it, it, the the, the um, amateur stage. But I have to say, your the bodybuilding division, yeah, the bodybuilding division is no joke. It's I mean, awesome. Yeah, it's like what what made so the WNBF attract such quality? Like they have there's other there's other federations they could go to. Why do you think they're coming to WNBF? The drug testing because they testing. like the they want the more testing because they are people that are truly natural. So there's a lot of federations that call themselves natural, but they're allowing so many things that are not natural or the time frame or the testing. You know, if, if you only do a urine test, if you say, all right, we're going to drug test and you need to be drug free for one year and we're going to urine test and we're going to pick who gets tested. Well, you know, who knows who they're going to pick? They may pick the most natural looking person there and then say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're drug tested. We tested and mm. no one failed, <laughs> but with the WMBF, we're testing and pushing the top people. So we are, and we've had failures at all different levels. So people that truly believe in the natural and they want to do this naturally and push their bodies and see what they can do. They are comfortable competing with us because they know it's going to be a fair, a fair playing field 
and that the other people that compete are also going to have to pass the same kind of testing and be able to, you know, to stand there and say, I'm drug free and I pass that test. So I think that's a big deal for a lot of people, especially in some of the countries that you can go and buy whatever you want. I mean, you know, you can buy in stores, you can buy steroids or you can buy, you know, different kind of drugs. So and why do you think there's such a passion for natural bodybuilding? I mean, I, looking at the non-drug tested federations, they're huge. It's grown yeah. exponentially over the past 20 years since, since I started competing. I'm, I'm really right. surprised at the volume of competitors who are or, or not just competing in a non-drug tested federation, but are not are, are taking drugs. There's the sport has become so different. It's almost like two different sports now. There's uh, the the natural federations, and then it's like a different, completely different look. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and when you come to the WNBF, I mean, you're seeing people that of what is possible. So it's almost like, I think people look at the, like the bodybuilders, for example, it's like, oh, well, he must be on something. He probably just lied on his lie detector or lied on his urine test. Oh, you can, you can pass those or stuff right. like that, where they, it's hard for them to believe that somebody right. can really look like that. Right. Yeah. Right. But you know what, if you see them in person and you stand next to them, you see how small they are, like how <laughs> they look huge on stage, but you know, the majority of the top guys are, you know, in the 180, 180 to 190 is bit really big. Like there are some guys that compete that are 160 pounds and you would guess that they were, you know, over 200 easily. Isn't that and, something? You know, IFBB guys competed in the WMBF, which is kind of oh. interesting. Sean Clarita competed for years in the WMBF. And he was great. He was awesome. He was very young, but very good competitor. And Kai Green, another guy, you know, he won the world championships in 1996 and he was a teenager or maybe 20. He was either 19 or 20 when he won and he was outstanding in the naturals. So it's, I think people like that they can compete at a high level and really push their bodies without taking the risk of the drugs and all the other stuff. Longevity. You've got somebody like Dwayne Broadway. I call him Mr. Everything because I don't think there's yeah. a show that Dwayne didn't win. Okay. No <laughs> Dwayne's in his, he, he now has the, he promotes his own show. And yeah. but he's in his 60s. Yeah, 65. And if you saw Dwayne Broadway in his 60s, he could probably cream people who are not drug tested. Yeah. <laughs> right? Don't you think? Oh, Michelle, Michelle, we went to the Gold's Gym in Venice when we were just in LA. And Dwayne's working out with his sunglasses on. I'll send you a little video clip. You'll die laughing. You're and kidding. he starts taking his shirt off and he's doing his poses. He's not even competing and he's ripped. You can no see his way. abs. He's got, yeah, oh yeah, it's great. And he just, he was in heaven. He was like, I'm going to have to, when I retire, I'm coming here a couple times a year. <laughs> you totally should. Did anybody ask for his autograph? <laughs> Um, people were asking who he was. He was the only one that actually got a real picture with Arnold. How funny is that? How did he get that? Just because he was, he looked ripped and he was wearing sunglasses? No, what happened was, um, Bill Murphy has had a friend that we met the last time we went out there that Bill was still alive and Bill was with us. And his friend's name is Mike Ryan. And Mike Ryan's a a manager of that gym. 
So we saw Mike Ryan and he told us, he goes, oh, those bikes over there are Arnold's. So Dwayne was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. So Dwayne got over there and he was in front of the bikes so that they couldn't pull their bike out. <laughs> and they were, because he had a, he had a trainer and he had like a handler that was like to keep people away from him. And Dwayne's like, oh, you know, hi, Arnold. Oh, you're looking good. I need to get a picture with you. And so Dwayne, I will send you the picture, Michelle. You're going to laugh. Of course, Dwayne gets the picture. That does not surprise so, me. Oh, that's yeah. too funny. So yeah, well, there yeah. you go. The quality of competitor. And Dwayne's in his 60s and he can yeah. still rock a stage and apparently he can rock it at Gold's Gym where um, he's wearing I would love to see what the people were doing. Yeah, he has sunglasses. Oh, he was he was a hoot. He was posing for us and I we can't. had a good time. Well, speaking of posing, so you're, I want to talk a little bit about the um, judging criteria and what measures does the WNBF take to make sure that all the judges are well-versed in the judging criteria. So there's like more consistency with the scoring. Of course, not perfect, but consistency. What type of measures does the WNBF take to make sure the judges actually know what they're judging, can score accurately and consistently? So we always, every year we make up a new PowerPoint that's like a judge's training tool or a criteria review tool um, where we will go over with judges that want to become judges, but also judges that have been judging for us um, just to go over everything and any changes that we're going to make in in the criteria, which there haven't been many. We did we did have a few a uh, couple of years ago where we just tried to consolidate it to two two rounds versus three um, and, and the scoring for certain categories. But um, we do that before the show. We would do either a Zoom meeting or a um, in-person judges meeting that you can go over the criteria. At the World Championships, we do it with the entire panel. You know, it's like a two-hour um, and it's an, a two hour lecture with pictures and you're able to look at <clears throat> pictures of what's what we want and what maybe we don't want in terms of posing, um, posing errors or, or, you know, not posing to the criteria. Uh, you still get a little bit of that. But we spend a lot of time educating the judges. And then if somebody does take the course and decides they want to judge for us, they would then go and do do test judging. And they would have to do that a number of times until we felt comfortable that they know the criteria, they're able to get through the show. Um, they're able to, you know, tell people what what they're what they're doing and why. You know, why did you place this person forth? And you know, they should be able to tell you why they place somebody where they place someone. So we've been doing a lot of that. We've done that for years with the the judges training and it it definitely helps to get everyone on the same page. Um, There's a lot to be learned. You know, you're uh, Michelle, you judge all over the place. Um, It's always awesome having you on a panel because you have good insight into a lot of the categories, the posing, what people are doing, um, helping people. I think judges in general, um, people may think they have an agenda. I don't think the majority of people that judge do not have an agenda. They really want to do a good job. They want to Absolutely. do what's right. Yeah, you so, do hear. I think you can say that you do hear a lot of people say, oh, it was political and this and yeah, that. And the no. other thing. And can you explain why you feel that WMBF is not political? 
Well, if if somebody if somebody's affiliated or trained somebody, they're not going to be sitting on our judging panel for the class their clients are in. Now, to say they're never going to judge, that's not the case. They would be able to judge. They can't judge in a category that they have clients competing in because it's a conflict of interest. But um, with the the training and the um, you know, the the way that the promoters put the panels together, they want to get a good mix of people that are representing all categories because, you know, we don't we don't special we don't really have specialty judges where somebody comes in and they only judge bodybuilding and then they leave. You kind of have to be proficient in all of them. I have a few shows where I use multiple people to judge, you know, and those are pro shows where I may have somebody come in that judges a category they're very strong in, and I may let somebody else judge the rest of it. And that's just really to give the competitors the best opportunity to have the best judges on for what they're doing. But um, it's really important that the judges score independently. Um, We put the panels together, the seating together. Putting the seating is important because, you know, a lot of times many of us judges are very good friends And we may only see each other, you know, two or three times a year. So you don't want that to become the social, uh, the social hour for the two judges that don't see each other enough and, you know, want to chit chat. So, you know, we're mindful of that when we're doing seating and when we're putting people down and the judges all know what their duties are. And, you know, with my shows anyways, I try to have an opportunity for the judges to be able to socialize, whether it's go to an after party or go out to dinner after or get some lunch together because it's a long day for the judges. And, you know, we want to keep them interested in the sport and they're so important to the show and having Mm -hmm. their experience and having, you know, all that they bring. And you want, you want seven independent judgments. And I always tell the judges that judge for me, um, I, I don't have a problem with somebody having a different idea or not being on the exact same page as the rest of the panel. That's why we have seven judges. If I only wanted one opinion, I would just judge myself. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, that would be it. So, right. you know, it's okay. And, and, and in the judging, you drop the high and the low score. So it's that's kind of the neutralizer for any somebody that maybe sees something differently. Um, the most important thing for those that see it differently, they just have to be able to justify why they're seeing it differently. Like, what are you seeing that we're not? And sometimes you can learn from people. You know, you may not agree with them, but, you know, they may be looking at things just slightly different and it causes a different outcome. But the dropping the high and the low really neutralizes that. I agree. And even if somebody was on the panel where, so there was like, for example, I had judged for you at one show yeah, and I had a posing person I taught helped with posing. I didn't do the nutrition training. I didn't have a team. I just helped with the posing and all that. And there was some um, backlash on that because I had taught the posing, but the key with the head judge is the head judge doesn't score. So the goal of the head judge is to give a picture to the rest of the judges, meaning move people around so they can get a good view of what's up on that page in a a comparative way and allow them to be their own score and sorry, do their own scoring. So that was kind of the goal. But I think, you know, with, with that in mind and the sensitivity to people and politics, you know, since then we've already made sure that if there was anybody that I taught posing, I would just step out and you would, you know, take over the mic and, and do that. So there is a sensitivity to that. 
as well. And yeah. the intentions are there where, you know, we both know that we want everything to be fair and to do a good job because at the end of the day, bodybuilding is a hobby. Even if you win the yes. show, you know, you're not winning enough to, to like, end your other career. Like you're here to, because it is a sport of camaraderie. It's a sport that, you know, is really just special. So I don't care yeah. who you are. If you're, if you're on that judging panel, you want to do a good job. And I think the Federation too wants to make sure that the scoring is fair. And speaking of scoring, what do you think, which division do you think is the most difficult to judge? Uh, I think some of it depends the level Um, because the the lower level is can be harder just because nobody might be posing the right way where as you go up, they usually tend to be more polished. So at a higher level, um, I, I think, I think the men's physique can be very challenging um, just because in terms of, of structure, they're more similar because their height, we, um, they go by height. So you're having, you know, where the bodybuilding goes by weight. So you could have somebody tall or somebody short. And when they go by height, the, the height, their structures are more similar. Um, so that can be challenging. Um, I know Tina had mentioned to me that I think, I don't know if she was joking, but like in Taiwan, there was like a class of like 30 something guys in men's physique that was like very challenging to judge because they were all under a certain height. So they're all like almost the same exact height. And that that makes that part challenging. But um, and in, in terms of muscularity and how, how muscular they are and how hard you want to have a physique person, sometimes that becomes a judgment that you have to make. Um and based on the criteria, they should be similar, but, um, it's, it, it can be challenging because the, in certain situations the the person with the best physique may not actually win if they're outside of the criteria, you know, for, where they're too muscular and they're pushing bodybuilding. So that always kind of stinks that, you know, mm. you could have a great, a great physique and just not, not do as well because you're in the wrong category. So let's just say we were judging the 30, 30 guys and uh, on that stage, they're all similar heights. They're all amazing. What would be the first thing you would look for to mark them down? How would you try to weed, weed through? Yeah. How would you try to weed them, weed them out? What would be like the first, one of the first things, I mean, not the exact, okay. it obviously would depend on what's so, in front of you. Yeah. No, normally in the men's physique, I, I'm going to have to be honest when they turn around, if their pants are baggy. <laughs> They're not like they don't have any legs or glutes, even though it's men's physique. I don't like that. I, I they still have to have some some lower body development there for me. <laughs> we actually had this discussion at Worlds, and people were laughing about it. But um, but it is to me, it's ha- it's still half your body. Whether you're wearing shorts or you're wearing trunks, it's half your body, and you still should have some development. You judge the calves. Um, not like I would with bodybuilding, but yeah, it's, it's part of their body. So it should, you know, it should be balanced with what they have on the upper body. Isn't that interesting? Cause so I think a lot of people assume with men's physique, you're just judging from the waist up. 
ah, you don't got to let me yeah. have your legs. And that's not the case. No, in that, that's, that's my go-to turn them around and we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So with men's physique, that would be one of the ways to weed out. Do you judge posing right. too? Like, do you, Oh, of course. But, but actually I should say from the front, usually the guys with the smaller waist right away are going to look better in everything, you know, but, but when you have to really like weed them out, yeah, the back's a little bit easier to, to get through people. Okay. What about posing is the least difficult is the bodybuilding. Yeah. Cause you, you're just, yeah. Well, and also because (laughs) the bodybuilding, there's no, up. you know, someone, can't be too big ever. They can't be too hard ever. So you really don't have to worry about, you know, where like in figure, we'll have times where people say, oh, that, you know, it's it's always figure is the one that seems to have the most uh, where they'll say, oh, so-and-so's, you know, they were way too muscular for figure. They were a bodybuilder. So having to deal with that, like, and even as a competitor, I'm sure that's challenging. How how big are you, how big can you go in and how hard should you go in, um, to compete? Um, so with the bodybuilding, there's, you know, you just maximize everything. <laughs> so that's the easiest, hardest would be men's, one of the hardest would be men's physique. That's interesting. Well, how about over like yeah. the past 30 years, what, what do you think the biggest difference, what are the biggest differences you've seen as a, as a federation as a whole, the changes over the past, like you've been 27 years but you've yeah. actually owned the Federation since what? 2014. 14. Yeah. Yeah. So have you, have you personally been changing the Federation or are you just feeling like the industry and the, and the sport itself is evolving? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? So, and, you know, things changed a lot because when I was competing, the WMBF had pro men's bodybuilding and pro women's bodybuilding. And then they would do this other, thing at the at the world championships because they only had pros at the world championships then and it was Mr. Exercise and Miss Exercise and Miss Exercise was a fitness routine similar to you know like a fitness America they would do a routine and then they do a swimsuit and the men did a routine also and they did a swimsuit like a they wore like a speedo kind of not men's physique shorts but like a, a not a posing suit either. It was kind of like a speedo trunks. Um, so that was probably until let me think around 2000. And in 2000, they added they changed the Miss Exercise to what today is figure, and it was um, uh, and from to probably around two. No, maybe it was later than that. 2003 or four, they had figure and figure was called Miss Exercise up until like 2012 or 13. It was still called Miss Exercise. Um, So it was a totally different look. And the figure would wear the evening gowns and do uh, evening gown walk at the Worlds. Not any other shows, just the Worlds. Um, so when they added that figure, it did change the bodybuilding because a lot of the women that were very symmetrical, that just weren't as muscular went to the, to the Miss exercise in the figure. And, um, so that changed the women's bodybuilding a little bit. And, and then with the uh, evolution of bikini, um, bikini, I think started in the WMBF, maybe in like 2012, they used to call it best body 
not bikini. And it was at when it was best body, it was more like a beach body. So people wore like a suit they'd wear to the beach. And the posing was a little bit more freestyle. And, uh, you know, that was the early days of bikini. Um, by the time that we took over in 2014, that was the first year the bikini went into the world championships um, with with Tina, Bob and I um, running the show. So that was our first year having bikini at the world championships. And it's definitely evolved from there. Um, those first world championships that we had, we still had the figure with the gowns. So, you know, 2014, 15, I think 16, we still had the gown. 17, I think is when we got rid of the gown. Why'd you get rid of it? Um, to a couple things, time, and we kind of took the beauty. So the judging criteria changed slightly and the beauty, like beauty used to be judged in figure. It was part of the scoring. And so we were taking that out anyway, and it kind of didn't make sense to have figure doing gowns and bikini not doing gowns, you yeah, know, in terms true. of the category. So, so we dropped it. And I think competitors were kind of happy because I don't know that they all loved the, the gown part. Mm. Um, so the, the women's side evolved that way. Fit body, I believe, started sometime around 2006 or seven. Um, and that basically came about when figure came about because we had an affiliate in Australia that they all did fit body. That was what they did. And so they really pushed for us to get fit body because they wanted to have a place for their people to be able to come to the United States and compete. And so that class was added. Um, and I, I think that's an, what federation was it in Australia, Fit Body? So I'm pretty sure back then they were just called WMBF Australia. No, no, wait, let me think. Yeah, they were called WMBF Australia. So, so they had a, they had, yeah, and so they offered it there. I think other federations actually in Australia maybe offer it, but they were fantastic. Like the early years of when I was judging for Charlie Carollo, I was judging the worlds for him. And I would go down there and see the fit body with all of the Australians. They were amazing. Their posing was so good. Um, I could send you some videos, Michelle, you'd love watching them. I would. I, actually, I love the fit. So just for, for the audience who doesn't know what fit body is, um, we talked a little bit about figure. We talked about bikini I think fit body might be new to people. They might at least maybe have an understanding of figure, bikini, and of course, bodybuilding, but maybe not fit body. Could you explain a little bit right. more about that division? Yeah. So the fit body is a scored, the symmetry round is scored similar to figure where the women have sh um, sh high heels on and they do quarter turns and we're looking for overall symmetry and muscularity and condition. Um, they should be very, very fit, you know, with lines in the legs and, separation in the legs and you know you can see their abs and so forth and then they have a series of five poses that they do that are the the style is more feminine because their hands are open and they're in the heels so there's a lot of women that want to do figure but maybe don't have the genetics for figure because as you go up and figure as you know michelle genetics plays a bigger role. So the people with the better structure are going to fare better in figure. 
With the fit body, there's an artistic side to it. So people who can show their body through their posing and give that illusion that they have these certain proportions or they, you know, can show extra definition. It's a way that they can compete and they may not have the best straight on symmetry front or back or side. um, But when they pose, they're able to show their physique in a way that they look different and they're able to really um, show their strengths. You know, they they may have like great legs and they can pose their legs in a different manner that they can really show that and accentuate that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what the about fit body, body is really body body a lot building. of fun. What? Fit body versus bodybuilding. <clears throat> well, the bodybuilding is still without shoes and, you know, the, the posing is the regular posing that you would do that the men's bodybuilding does. So they... excuse me, I might have to get some water. Um, They, uh, excuse me, sorry, Michelle. Um, The the bodybuilding, you know, for whatever reason, um, I think that women started shying away from it. Like they didn't want to do it like, oh, that's masculine or, and I think that a lot of it is based on looking at the pictures of people who are enhanced and they're like, you know, I, I don't want to look like that. You know, someone, I, I can remember at, at my gym, sometimes you, you know, you'd have, you'd hear somebody come in and be like, oh, well, and they, they don't even work out. Like they don't even look fit. And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to look like a bodybuilder. And you really want to say like, don't worry, you're not going to like, yeah, you it won't. doesn't just happen, but you can't say anything. So you just smile. And, um, but I think the women's bodybuilding got a bad rap. I mean, there there's women in the women's bodybuilding that compete for 20 years. No problem. Like the, they just keep going and they keep getting better. There are some amazing people that are in it and, you know, they have kept the sport alive and we're, one of the only natural federations I think that still calls it women's bodybuilding. We're not going to rename it. Oh, it's going to be physique because that sounds better. It doesn't. It's women's bodybuilding. You know, and you've kept actually the divide, the, the division of bodybuilding and you have fit body and other federations kind of combine the two. So yeah, you've kept, why have you kept fit? Cause fit body versus a bodybuilder. What do you think physique wise is the biggest difference? Why would somebody go to fit body versus, because you've got to be, you can, okay. So there's still some muscularity poses. There's still some artistic yeah. to it. Um, there's yeah. still some other things besides just symmetry that you can do well in meaning fit body versus yeah. bodybuilding, bodybuilding. There's right. more poses, close hand poses, right. but from a physique, um, obviously personal p- appeal, like, okay, I prefer to be in fancy shoes versus yeah. barefoot, you know, but well, why physique wise would somebody pick? bodybuilding versus fit body? I think if you're, if you're going to be more competitive in bodybuilding. So if, if somebody's carrying more mass, that's not going to be rewarded in, in fit body. And if you look at a lot of the fit body competitors that are very good, um, they're a little tall or taller. Um, and if they're short, if, if you were to put them against a, a top bodybuilder, the area that they're very different is mass. So the bodybuilder has a lot more mass for their frame than the fit body competitor. So the fit body is more like a, a leaner, 
um, a leaner muscular physique, but not necessarily as much mass all over. Okay. And then fit body versus figure, you could be Eh, structure, think, but still do very, very well in fit body because of you. There's yeah. other criteria besides just structure. Yeah. Prior to 2000, I think 14, we stopped allowing the crossovers in the pros, or maybe it was 13. Um, we used to allow pros to cross over. So if you had a pro card in figure, you could compete in figure. And if you had a pro card in fit body too, you could do that in the same show. And there were a number of women that um, were super competitive in all of the categories, like Tracy Rabbit, Melissa Kelly, a whole bunch of different women. Amy Linus was competing in both at the same time. So there were quite a few women during that era that that competed and were competitive in figure and fit body. Um, So to kind of make the category have its own, own criteria and its own standards so that people train just for that. We separated that out and they weren't allowed to cross over anymore. But that was the biggest crossover was figure and fit body. Makes sense. Now, what yeah. about other recent, any other recent changes to the Federation's rules? I mean, I know some, uh, like the OCB, for example, was not allowing competitors to compete in um, non-drug tested federations for sure. And drug tested federations that weren't in alignment with the drug testing. OCP. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So is there anything like that with WNBF? No. I mean, we hope that our pros at least are going to be loyal to us and compete with us and, and represent our federation well. Um, but I think because Tina, Bob and I competed when there were a lot of restrictions, um, the first thing that we did when we took over in 2014 is opened up the doors and just said, you know what, compete where you want to compete because, you know, I, I did compete with the restrictions and like we, we, when we started off, you know, and I said, well, it would have been kind of cool to be able to try that just to see it's not, it wasn't that I was disloyal, but it's just, it's a short lived career and you just want to see what, what you can do. And it's kind of fun to compete in different places. So I totally understand that like firsthand from my own experience competing and would never hold it against a competitor if they wanted to try another federation or wanted to, you know, compete somewhere else. We're not paying them enough that you own them. You know, if if we had big contracts where we're giving them, you know, enough money that they could live on, well, then maybe you have a claim that they should be more loyal to you and not. But, you know, with, with us, they're earn, they're making some prize money when they compete. You know, and they're basically getting paid to do a hobby, but they're not going to be able to live off of it. So, um, it's like I, going I and winning bingo. Just, like you can win bingo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you there, and and you could leave with a thousand dollars, and but then you can, you know, but it's not going to yeah. make or break your whole life. It's just fun, and you want some prize money. So I yeah. do think that it's a great right. um, attitude to be able to go to other places because it is a hobby at the end of the day. I mean, yes, yeah. I understand you want as many people to compete in the WMBF is possible because it's a great federation. You believe in it. Obviously you're an owner. You've been with the federation for a really long time. So you you love it. You want people to love it too. I do understand that. And I also understand as a pro, you don't have as many shows to do available as you might as an amateur. So being able to have more shows to do is maybe the goal. Whereas being a pro and getting prize money may not be the goal. It might be just, you really love to 
compete. So it's an interesting right. sport. It's the only professional sport, if you think about it, where people don't get salaries. No. Right? No. Right? Or even endorsements. Well, it's, it's, Maybe you don't get it's a salary. One of the but, only... but you might get no, no, major endorsement deals. Yeah. Um, really- another funny thing about it is it's the only sport that separates out tested and not tested. You know what I mean? Right? That's an inter- that's yeah. so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard because the um you know, I understand that people want the loyalty, but you aren't getting a salary. You aren't getting endorsements. And no. these days you're not even getting, there used to be a big push. I remember when the magazines would come in the mail, it was like a big deal. Oh, I can't wait yeah. to see, you know, the coverage of the show. Yeah. Now the coverage of the show is 30 seconds after the people got off stage or even right. live streamed. Like the, the right. opportunities for growth in a career has changed too. Whereas like if you right. got in that magazine, you got on the cover, man, you yeah. were able to go global. Yeah, no, no, I, I know what you mean. But that was, you know, we definitely um, felt like it was good to just, you know, let people do what they want to do. And, you know, the majority of people, even if they go compete somewhere else, they come back and they want to compete with with you too. So I, I think it's just um, human nature that competitors want to see how they fare against a lot of different people. And they put so much into it and dedicate so much time, money, you know, they give up a lot of things in life to do this, that it, it's, you know, they should do what they want to do. It's, it's just, it's, it's a hard, such a hard sport. So demanding that it really is, you know, you want to kind of take, take all the opportunities you can while you can do it. You know, and, and with that in mind, we just talked a little bit about the evolutions. We, we talked about the magazines. We talked about social media. Where do you see, I mean, there's so much that's changing with this sport. And where do you see it going in the next five years, the next 10 years? Do you see, do you, do you, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think now in the majority of natural shows, um, more people compete almost too soon. Like, you know, they don't really give themselves enough time in the gym because they're just in this rush to get on stage. And I hope that people will really do research and, and spend time preparing before they compete so that they're really ready to do it and they have better experience. But moving forward with it, I think that there's you know, that people like to compete. That's, we all know that. That's why CrossFit even has done so well, because people want to compete, whether they're, you know, out of college or they're an adult or a kid, they want to be involved, they want to push themselves. And this gives them a platform to do that. In terms of where it's going to go um, with the types of categories, I, I don't see a lot more categories, but I don't know. So you know, I know some organizations have added wellness, which is another category, and some have added classic men's physique. And, you know, those are categories we don't offer. Um, I don't see a big need for those right now because the people in those categories could fit in one of our categories. Um, but I do think that with with the the shows and the appeal of the drug-tested shows, that more people are going to be coming and doing it that way because more of the people who are getting into competing because of the shorter window and the bit less commitment in the gym before they even get there. 
uh, you're getting a different kind of athlete. You're getting somebody whose um, priority may be their kids and their family, but they're going to do this for a little bit. So the drug tested part, I think, is going to be really important to those kind of people because they're not the hardcore gym rats that trained for 10 years and then came out of some basement gym. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, who's this? <laughs> um, that you'd see maybe 20 years ago where people would train and train and train. I mean, people did not just jump on stage. And I see now a lot more people, they're prepared because they have good posing coaches, but in terms of their bodies, they haven't put the time in, in the gym like people did 20 years ago. And that's something unique too. You mentioned about people's spending 10 years and continuously competing versus the nature of competing today is kind of that, you know, I want to get my pro card in one show. Yay me. I got a great Instagram <laughs> line item now and then, okay, moving yeah. on. Do you think that's right. going to affect the longevity of the sport with there being more people coming in and coming out quicker? I think that that's just the way that, you know, the, the categories also allow that because, you know, obviously in the bikini at a low level, I'm not talking the top pros, but a low level, a novice show, um, somebody with very little training could go in and compete and they're not going to look out of place. You know, they're going to learn how to pose. They're going to have the right suit. They're going to do the, all the stuff on stage, right? And they are going to compete where like when you started, Michelle, uh, I'm sure you spent a number of years in the gym training before you said, I'm going to go out and compete on stage because you wanted to get your body to a certain place before you went through the process of dieting down and competing. Yeah, there was definitely more time so, between shows. It wasn't like I did yeah. you know, a bunch of shows. And now it seems like somebody goes to the gym and they're working out and they are like, oh, one of my friends is competing, so I'm going to do this too. And maybe it becomes right now, it seems more like for some people, like a bucket list. Mm -hmm. And then they train after they start training after they've competed versus like when I started, people trained, you trained before you competed. And when, you know, your trainer or whoever you were working with thought you were ready to compete, then they'd say, all right, well, maybe next year you're going to compete. You know, it wasn't unheard of to train for five to 10 years and then compete. Where so now that's like, sounds, sounds crazy, kind of. Well, yeah. And do you think that, you know, yes. So entry, basically, I shouldn't say entry, but the, the division that requires the least amount of muscle would be, for example, bikini, the most amount of yeah. muscle being bodybuilding. So if people are coming in right. and they're doing bikini shows and they're having a great time, but they may not have the goal of becoming bodybuilding. So do you find that in the long term that this could almost be a, like a, like, mm, I don't know, a deterrent or something that could affect negatively bodybuilding because there's just less interest? Well, what's interesting is that with the bikini, you know, I agree that it's, you know, it can be something that you don't have to be as, as muscular. So you can get into it earlier and it is a little bit of a shorter lived career. You know, if you look at bikini careers in the natural or even in the, you know, non-tested, you don't see them competing for 20 years. Well, it hasn't been around 20 years, but you, you probably don't even see that many competing for 10 years. You may see the average probably ends up being three years, two to three years that people will compete in it. 
Um, so you have a little bit more turnover there. I mm. think what's interesting is the people that come in that maybe should be in a different category, but they choose bikini. So they're muscular. They look like a bodybuilder and they're like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do that bodybuilding. I'm going to do the bikini because that's what I like. Um, a lot of those people end up being great bodybuilders because they kind of get the the posing with the bikini. You have to be able you have to be in tune with your body and you have to be comfortable in your own skin. And so I've noticed and this is actually kind of cool um, that people that enter at bikini and end up at figure fit body bodybuilding tend to be very good on stage because they're comfortable in their own skin. They're able to get out there and do their thing. And, um, you know, it's it's a good entry point. It's a good place to start. And if they do like the training and they want to really work on that, then they have the option to go to the other categories. And I think the posing in the other categories is is actually easier in a lot of ways than the bikini. Well, adding in all that sass and that like personality and whatnot, that, that definitely just, even if it's not necessarily beauty pageant, it's still yeah. who, who like it is nonverbal, 100% nonverbal communication up there. Naturally, you're going to grab it. You're going to look at the person who yeah. looks great, who just yeah. like, even if they don't have the best body, you're still going to take a second look. You're still going to look a little bit longer. So I do definitely think that posing, you know, I have this phrase posing when shows, I mean, granted you need to come. Mm-hmm with a, with a good physique, like you can't show up looking eight weeks out and expect to win, but if all things are constant and you brought a great package person next to you brought a great package and you have a better presentation that just by nature is going to help you to place better. Right. So I do agree that bikini people, I've actually have a few, quite a few of my posing clients are talking about figure and fit body and, and physique yeah. and those different categories for next year because they've outgrown it muscular, meaning the, the body, excuse right. me, bikini division. They, there's a certain point where I do think on the natural stages, you've really kept a real um, eye on the amount of muscle for bikini. I think it's starting to move. Yeah. Like if I look at NPC IFBB, for example, the amount of muscle and the level of condition, level of conditioning in the last year alone is crazy. And that's something, of course, that's, that's a large federation. You're seeing it a lot everywhere. So people, I think, look at that and think, oh, well, I need to look at that when I compete in bikini. No, you don't. So with, no. with WNBF, it truly is a strong foundation of muscle, but you've kept a good, how have you been able to keep a good cap on the amount of muscle? Because that's a tough division to score. <laughs> Well, that probably goes back to judges training. Mm. So as much as like I was saying, like the judges, when you have to make a judgment that the person may be outside of the criteria, even though they have a great body, (coughs) excuse me. Yeah. Keeping that Um, that tabs on that is critical. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those things you hate to have to do that because it's a good physique, but (coughs) excuse me. Okay. Um, but at times that's what, um, what it takes to set the standard. Mm. So I do think that that has kept a, you've kept a really good eye on bikini. And and I think that's why it's helped people who do enjoy competing to move up into the more muscular categories. Although, you know, the figure category yeah. is, is not an easy category. I mean, structurally, um, presentation is important too, but, um, the muscularity of figure <clears throat> is actually pretty, pretty dense. Don't you think? Oh Yeah. No, figure is no joke. I mean, the worlds we just had, there were 12, uh, maybe 12 or 14 in the figure. And um, 
every person up there was so good. Like, you know, sometimes you have a class where it's just everyone was awesome. So mm. it was really, really nice to watch. And they were very well prepared and great on stage. And, you know, in the end, it comes down to condition and structure and mm. size, you know, the muscularity of the person who was better balanced. So it's um, figure is a good goal. I think when people that enter at bikini, see it. And then they're, if they're really into the training part and they want to put the work in, in the gym, I think a lot of them on their own will say, you know what, my goal is that I can compete and figure. And then they kind of had their entry point at bikini and they work their way to get competitive and figure. Um, and if they don't have the best structure, but they like that hard training and they're not really sold on the bikini, that's where the fit body is perfect because you can, get away, I, I will say, get away a little bit with some flaws and still be competitive because you're able to show your physique through the poses. And that's unique to WNBF because usually the path is bikini, um, figure, maybe wellness, which is a pear shape. So it's not even a symmetry thing. It's its own literal yeah. look with a very strong, um, muscular base, but not as hot, uh, have, uh, symmetrical on top. You're not looking for that. And then you go to physique and that's very much, you got to have that structure. You've got to have like, yeah. and so it, you have that one division fit body that almost really kind of helps people who may not have the structure of figure or the structure of physique do, do right. something that still is muscular and fun where they could score really yeah. well. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So that's unique. What about yeah. any future goals for the Federation? Anything that comes to mind? Future? You, Bob, Tina? Shout out well, to Bob. We're, uh, we're, our next Worlds is going to be in Seattle, so that's going to be cool. We have three really great promoters out there um, in Washington State, so they are super excited to be hosting the Worlds. It's Aaron Orton and Katie Wayman-White and John Nickerson and Evie Nickerson. Um, that are kind of leading the way out there in Seattle. And I know it's going to be an awesome um, event for people to go to because I had the opportunity. We had uh, one set of promoters that just retired, Kevin James and Linda Prince. Um, they just retired from promoting in 2016 and 17. They had me out to judge their pro-am, the Washington State Natural. And the fan base out there is huge for natural bodybuilding. So, you know, if you go to one of the shows out there, there are, the places are packed. People really support it. Um, those guys have all done a great job, you know, networking with trainers and getting a lot of athletes. So I'm expecting a pretty big amateur turnout because the amateur turnout a lot of times depends on where it is. Um, so there should be a lot of amateurs and pros. It's a, it's a new destination for them to check out and they can go to Seattle and hang out. So we're really excited for that. And then, uh, 2024, we'll be coming back to the East coast. So, um, that's exciting. So, yeah, so those, you know, we have a lot of good stuff planned. And speaking of the East coast, you have some shows that you promote on the East coast, spring mania in Massachusetts yes. on May 20th. You've got the Northeast classic and Pro-American on June 3rd, the South Shore Natural in Mass on June 17th, the Natural Mania, which is um, in New York on September 23rd, Battle for Broadway, yeah. Dwayne Show in New Jersey, and that's October 21st, right? And then yeah. 
Monster Mash, which is a pro-am on November 4th and 5th. So there's quite a bit on the Northeast that you, yeah. I don't know, how do you juggle? Yeah, that? I do a lot of them. The, the Monster Mash, I've, I, I always keep it as two days. So the pros have their own day on Sunday, which is kind of fun. So that's, that's the only show that we have that um, the pros have their own day. How do you manage all those shows? Like that's a lot of shows. To promote. Uh, I, get, I have good people helping like you. <laughs> you help me in New York. You do a great job. I hope we'll have you back there. I love White Plains. I love the White Plains. The venue's beautiful. And that's always fun. To, yeah, yeah, I do enjoy. I had judged that one in um, New York this past September. That's always a good one. Um, yeah, I love that show. show. It's always the bodybuilding's always good there. All, all the categories there. People show up for that one. And and the lighting's great. They do an awesome job with the sound. So um, Kathleen Davison is the the director there at the White Plains Performing Arts, and she's been fantastic to work with. So, she's so nice. Do you, do you think yeah. the numbers of competitors is going to increase over 2023? You think people are going to come yeah. coming out of Yeah, I think so. I, I think 22 still, if you remember last Christmas, um, there was a big uptick in COVID and the news and the media was all over it. Oh, this COVID's coming back. And yep. I think a lot of people that were going to compete last year kind of bagged it at that point, just like I'm not doing it again and not, not able to compete. So I'll take the year to train. So I've talked to a lot of people and I've heard lots of good things that people are really excited to get back, um, you know, and, and get out there and train. Uh, another event, Michelle, that's happening, there is going to be a seminar in January at the Guaranteed Fitness in Spencer. And rumor has it that Lee Haney is coming up for it. No kidding. Your buddy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah, wait, they asked me to go Spencer, for the... For what the, state? Spencer Massachusetts. Where? Oh, Spencer, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And this is for the WNBA? No, no, it's uh, the Bruce DeRosia that owns the Guaranteed Fitness is pulling in people. He had asked me to go to it to present. So as soon as I get all the info, I will get it over to you. But um, I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's in his gym. So you get to present on behalf of the WNBF to his gym? Yes. And Lee Haney is going to present on behalf of his show. I know he's got a show in Georgia. Yep, he is. And then they have a bunch of powerlifting people. Um, He has a whole bunch of different people in the industry. Oh, right um, that he's bringing in for it. So it should be really fun. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm excited to hear that yeah. for you. Yay. Yeah. Well, you deserve it. You deserve that um, tap on yeah, the shoulder. Yeah, it'll be fun. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming here today and being the voice for the WNBF. And, you know, shout out to Bob and Tina, who are also um, owners of the Federation. So thank yeah. you to, to you for taking the time to come on and, and chat with me today. And yep. really, it gives so much information. I, I can't thank you enough. And if people are looking to follow, follow you and get more information about the shows that you promote, or even just to follow you yourself, where can they, where can they find you? Um, so my website is nancyandrewspresents.com. Um, the WMBF site is worldnaturalbb.com. My Instagram is WMBFprez. Um, and I also have Nancy Andrews Presents. And the organization Instagram is WMBF official, and you can find the Facebook group for World Natural Bodybuilding Federation. So lots of good info out there. Absolutely. So definitely check out all those places and um, check yeah. out some shows for next year. If you're looking to compete, there's a lot of different categories to, to give it a go. Well, thank you, Nancy. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thanks. Look, all right. Thanks, thanks, Michelle. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. 
Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories, and more on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com.